as, Luke, as um, Wade was saying, we are going to uh, continue on through the book of Luke. And I wanted, you know, I know that you guys are aware we've been walking through it, and actually all of our Missio families have been walking through it. But at the same time, all of our kiddos, we're crafting lessons based on each week's message. So all of our kids in all three uh, communities are actually going through the same lesson each week that we are. So I wanted to first remind you guys of that because it provides, for the parents, it provides a really cool opportunity to start to like dialogue with your kids about, not only about what you're learning, but get their understanding of it, get their understanding of the text. And I'll tell you from experience, when you can hear them and how they approach God's word, it's really, it, I mean, it can be really enlightening to me. Um, and so I wanted, before we get started, I wanted to throw it out there to see, one, if any of you guys had taken up on that opportunity, had had any conversations with your kids, and if so, if you'd just share, like if one or two people would share real quick something that their kids, as you guys have been able to do, like what was a family moment getting to talk through some of that stuff? And if we don't have any, then this will be a good, very poignant <laughs> leading for today. <clears throat> Go ahead. Yeah, no, exactly. That's awesome. And those are like those kind of opportunities where you guys can start to talk through that and really flesh out what it means to worship. And uh, no, that's perfect. Anybody else? That's funny. I'm glad you're not the only one. Like, I almost brought that up today because I'll ask my kids that, what do we deserve? We deserve death. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> if you didn't know the context, that would be super morbid. <laughs> no, but that's great. Thank you. So, uh, last, uh, so in our family, we actually, this past, I think it was Monday night, we got to talk through some of what we had been learning, and we had been learning about the paralyzed man. And I thought, what was cool is, if you guys aren't familiar, like my wife and I have a ton of kids. And so it's cool because there's actually this big dialogue between them and it's neat to start to watch the older ones help the younger ones as the younger ones will say something that they heard and the older ones are like, ah, I don't know about that or what do you mean by that? And so like honestly, Crystal and I can start to step back a little bit and just let them minister to each other as they're talking through that. So I definitely, if you guys aren't taking up on those opportunities, I would definitely, definitely encourage you guys to do that. Um, so that being said, I wanted to uh, maybe just recap a little um, about the text. Like we said, we talked, Chris last week gave us a talk, or 
told us about the paralyzed man. Um, and there were a couple of key things in that that we're going to get to, but it, it's kind of funny because it, honestly, I wasn't even really aware that I was going to be teaching this week at that time. But when Chris started teaching that, it, my mind instantly went to a story, actually the time that I got to share that story last year. Um, so a lot of you guys are familiar, but I work in a context where I get to train people on how to share the gospel orally to people that are oral learners. And so most of that work is done here, but I also, like, honestly, am blessed to get to go overseas to be able to do the same thing in training indigenous people, which seems kind of funny, a guy from America training indigenous people how to share the gospel orally when they're coming from an oral country and I'm not. But honestly, it works out. Um, and so last year, I had the opportunity. I was in a village in Myanmar, which is former Burma, and we're walking down these mud paths through these different huts, and we're being led by an indigenous church planner who's gone into a 100% Buddhist village and has moved in there to be able to start to share the truth with them. And he had picked out several families for us to visit and be able to share the gospel so we could model for him our version of how we share the gospel orally. And as we started going towards the house, the church planner shared with us that the individual we were going to visit had recently, he had been up in a tree cutting wood to create charcoal to sell for his family. And he had fallen out of the tree and they weren't, they hadn't been able to get medical, but there was, he was paralyzed, almost completely paralyzed from the waist down, and they weren't really sure what, what was causing it. Um, and so as we start walking, I'm actually, I'm with my boss, and so I got voluntold that I was going to be telling the story of the paralyzed man in this home. And so that, like, definitely puts a lot of pressure on me. Not only that, but then he takes a video of me while I'm doing it. Um, but so I get to sit down and we get to sit with this man and just hear the hurt and the pain of the actual, like the actual paralysis and how it's keeping his family or keeping him from being able to provide for his family. And so I shared the story and I was able to share like God's heart and his ability to bring people out of that situation. And after that, we prayed for him. And I can tell you like in all of my heart, I was praying so hard and just desiring him, like, God, heal this man, like, heal him, and not just for him, not just for his family, but I thought, what a testimony it would be if we walked into his home and he was paralyzed and he walked out with us, this entire Buddhist village would have instantly seen in a tangible way the power of God. And it was hard because we prayed for him and there was no change and I've kept in contact with that church planner and there's still no change. And honestly, I had to deal with that and say, God, like, what am I not seeing? How is this opportunity not it? And the response that I get or just the feeling that I get was twofold. And the reason I share it with you is because it's pertinent to the text that we're going to get. One, I fall back or I hear, like, God is faithful 
to work all things for the good of those who love him, and he will always do all things to bring glory to himself. And if I truly believe that that, if I believe that that's true, then the reason that that man not being healed is eventually going to bring God the glory that he is seeking in that village. And my short-sightedness should not be put on God as a lack in his ability because he, he had absolutely had the power to heal that man right there and allow him to walk, but he didn't. And it's because he has a purpose and he has a plan that's much bigger than I could see. And it is much different than what the world would tell us it should be. So that's point number one. And point number two, the reason that I share that is because it's a story. Not only was I sharing a story, but it in itself, me sharing that as a story. And when we look at the book of Luke, that's actually what he's doing. Luke's purpose, he laid it out in Luke chapter one. He says that he sought to give a detailed account of the life of Jesus, of the working of Jesus. And so he's telling us a story. And so every time we approach this text, we have to know that that's the sort of thing, that's the sort of book that this is, and that's the sort of thing that he's trying to tell us. He's telling us a story, and he's telling us the story of what Jesus was doing in and amongst his people in the world. So that being said, today we're gonna skip ahead from that book, um, The Paralyzed Man, and we're gonna be in Luke chapter six, verse 27 through 36. So if you guys would stand before me or stand with me as you're able in reverence to God's word. So Luke 6, 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. This is the word of God. You guys can be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth in those words. Lord, sometimes those are really hard things for us to hear. And yet, God, we know that you are faithful to open our eyes to let us see how your glory will be portrayed through them. Father, we know that you have called us to be a people that are faithful to this word. I pray that today you would enlighten us, just open our minds and open our hearts. Allow us to be the people that you're calling us to be. Amen. 
So, did anybody catch how that uh, verse started? And by the way, if you guys don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one because we're going to be walking through some of that. But somebody, take a look at verse 27, chapter 6 of Luke, and tell me what the very first word is. What's that, Steve? But. That's right. So that's how this passage starts, with a but. And in that, you would ask yourself, but what? What is this saying but about? And I'm glad you asked, because we're going to go through that right now. So this, uh, this may only take a couple of hours, but we're going to go from the one text of the paralyzed man. Good, good. I'm glad that you think I'm joking. Um, so <laughs> we're actually, the reason that I want to bring that up is because where it's this, this passage, it says but, and it really does lead exactly from the paralyzed man up until this point because Luke is trying to craft a story for us and tell us something of what Jesus is doing in these passages. So as we go through, I'm just going to walk through and give you a quick synopsis of them, Um, but please follow along because it'll be helpful. So last week, like I said, Chris shared the story of the paralyzed man, and he gave us two things right at the end that showed us, one, what Jesus had come to do, what he was about when he told the man that he forgave his sins. And that also set into place something else that hadn't really happened up until this point. And that's that the Pharisees that were listening became angered. They questioned in their heart, who is this that has power to, or or, that says that they can forgive sins because only God has the power to forgive sins. And so Jesus said, I'll show you that I have the power by healing the man. And when he did that, two things happened. The Pharisees became upset, and the people were amazed. And so I want to focus on that, because this is starting to lead us into what's going to be laid out in this text. Because right after this, Jesus has an encounter with a tax collector named Levi. And it doesn't really say much about the encounter other than he tells the tax collector, follow me. The guy gets up and does it and walks away from everything that he's had. Which is interesting because right after that, he says he throws a party. um, So he must not have left everything behind. But he has a party. And in this party, he invites all the wrong kinds of people. He's inviting tax collectors. He's inviting the sinners. People that are normally excluded. And so here again, we find the Pharisees getting angry. They approach Jesus' disciples, and they ask him, why are you drinking and eating with sinners and tax collectors? And there's a a couple things that I want you to catch in that. One, the Pharisees are laying out something that would have been really clear to everyone else, that there are these rules these purity laws that have to be followed. And people that are sinners are unclean. So there's ritual cleanness, and part of that has to do with food purity. And so to eat with tax collectors and sinners, people that probably are unclean, is hugely taboo. And so... The Pharisees are calling that out and they're showing that they believe in God's law that there are these people that are excluded 
from the kingdom. But another interesting side note is apparently they, at this point, don't consider Jesus to be that way. Otherwise, they wouldn't question why he was eating with sinners. And Jesus' response is great. Um, It's one that we're probably, many of us are probably familiar with. And he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I want you to hold on to that because in this, we're going to find that the people that he's excluding or saying are righteous, it may be a little bit different than what we're expecting So Jesus follows on. In fact, this is a continuation of this same conversation where somebody says to him, and now they've questioned his partaking in the purity, in um, the Levitical purity laws. Now they're going to say, well, these people fast, John's disciples fast, even the Pharisees and their disciples fast. But Jesus, why don't your people fast? And so, <clears throat> what they're, now they're saying, you're eating with all the wrong people, and you're a glutton, you're eating all the time, you're not doing what is expected of God's people to fast and allow him. And again, Jesus pushes back on that. And in fact, he says there will be a time for all of them to fast. But right now, while I'm here, is not the time. This is a time for celebration, but there's a time where I'm going to be gone. And what he's starting to show here is not only that they have a misconception of the rules, but Jesus has actually come to reset the rules and to make things right again. And In that, he gives them this parable, which really doesn't seem to fit with anything in the text. And so you'll find, if you're following along, that's in chapter 5, verse 36. He says this parable, which doesn't seem to fit with anything that they've just talked about, and yet is going to become the hinge for everything that we're talking about in this passage. And what he he tells, he gives an illustration of someone that has a torn garment And he said nobody would ever cut a new garment to patch that one because they'd ruin the new and it wouldn't fit the old. And then he also, then he makes the illustration again. He says, nobody puts new wine into old wineskins because the old wineskins will burst and the new wine will be spilled. And so what you would start to gather is that Jesus is coming to break these laws, that he's coming to push back against them, that he's bringing the new wine. Except for at the very end, he totally flips the script on them. He twists it and he says, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new wine, for they say the old is better. So I'm not gonna go deeper into that yet. But just realize that Jesus, this is, this is the path that Jesus is on. And so Luke continues to tell us this story. So now he's showed us how Jesus is pushing back against the purity laws. He's pushing back against fasting. And now he enters into the Sabbath. So the Sabbath was this day that has been in accordance even before the fall 
God instituted the Sabbath. It was that seventh day of rest. This is something that is central to the Israelites' way of being in the world. And so there are two encounters. One, where Jesus and his disciples, where Jesus' disciples begin to pick grain and eat it on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, again, call them out on it. Say that that isn't, like, that you can't do that. And Jesus pushes back and says, haven't you heard about when your King David, your beloved figure, did something very similar where he ate consecrated bread because he had a physical need, him and his friends. This is no different. And again, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I get to tell you what are the rules for the Sabbath. And then it, it, Luke gives us another picture of this because he really wants to hammer the point home that how the Pharisees view the Sabbath, how they view it should be done is contradictory to what Jesus has come to do. And so he talks about now, this is another healing. So he's capping the healing of the paralyzed man, and now he's come full circle, and now he's going to heal someone else, a man with a withered right hand that can't do work, that can't provide for his family. And the Pharisees are watching. They see this man in the crowd, and they know they know and they're hoping, they're actually hoping that Jesus is going to mess up and break the Sabbath just so they can throw it in his face. And Jesus reads it in his heart. He reads it in their hearts. And so he pulls the man up and he asks them, what is, what is right to do on the Sabbath? What is the intent of the Sabbath? Is it for good or is it for evil? Is it for life or is it to destroy life? Is it to aid in the flourishing of God's people or is it a legalistic rule to hold some down and raise others up? And then he had the man stretch out his hand and it was fully restored. And so this is what Jesus was saying with the new and the old wine. He's saying, I didn't come to burst these laws. I didn't come to do away with the purity law. I didn't come to do away with the fasting. I didn't come to do away with the Sabbath. But what has happened is the people, God's people, have twisted these rules. They've twisted these laws. And instead of being life, instead of bringing a flourishing to a people to set them apart, to show God's glory to an entire world, they've been turned into an oppressive system to keep people down and to raise some people up. And so Jesus says, I'm bringing, he's saying that that's the new wine and that new wine is bursting those laws. They can't hold it. I'm bringing the old wine. I'm bringing the wine that was established in Genesis with the Sabbath and I am going to refill the wineskins of the law. I am going to fulfill that. And so that's exactly what you see him do. After that, and Luke does such a beautiful job of crafting this story, directly after that, after he's shown how he is going to be the true fulfillment of the law, he calls out 12 
apostles out of the disciples that have been following him. And he does that in a sign of a reestablishment of the 12 tribes of Israel. So he says, I'm coming back, I'm fulfilling this law, and I'm, bring, I'm establishing a new leadership because the old leadership has corrupted what we've done. And so this is bringing us right to our passage for today because this is the culmination of what Luke has been trying to do. He's showing us that Jesus is coming in the spirit. He has the power to heal, that he's not breaking the law, but he is fulfilling it. He's restoring it to what God's initial intention was for it. And so now you see this picture where this law was created to make a set apart people that was to be a light to all of the world to see. You see people gather and not just people of the Israelites. You do see people from Judea and Jerusalem, but you also see people from Tyre and Sidon. Actually, some of the very people that Jesus had pointed out, God had sent the prophets to heal as opposed to Israel. And so now you see the Israelites, you see the Gentiles all coming to hear the teaching of God, to hear the teaching of Jesus. And he lays out something that would be so, just so revolutionary, so ridiculously outside of people's minds in a world where like they are, there are the haves and there are the have nots and everything in their life has shown them that the haves have been blessed by God. This is how Jesus leads out. Blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. And in case that they miss that, he later on, tax on, and woe to you who are rich because you have already received your comfort. And then he does the same thing with hunger. And he does the same thing with weeping. He says the people that you think are the downtrodden, the ones that are excluded from the kingdom, those are the very people that I, the great physician, have come to heal. Those are the people who the kingdom is coming to. Those are the ones that the old wine and the old wineskins are for. And your new wine, your new wine that have fed the rich, that have caused those to laugh at the expense of others, those are exactly the things that are going away. And so what Jesus is doing is totally flipping everything on its ear. I actually had a conversation with Chris. There was a book that was written a long time ago, or a long time ago, it was written in the 70s. It was called The Upside Down Kingdom. And so it was saying that, what it was basically saying is that the kingdom that Jesus was ushering in was completely antithetical to the kingdom, the pe- what the people at that day thought of God's kingdom and what it was. But the thing is, and I like this, is that it wasn't that Jesus was bringing an upside down kingdom He was showing us how our kingdom, the kingdom of the world, is completely upside down. And what he's come is to bring it all to right, to straighten up and to bring God's kingdom back into its fullness. And so that, in that light, that's exactly where we hear Luke bring in Jesus' words starting in verse 627, which was our actual text for today. (laughs) And that's where he says, but you who are listening... And so 
I guarantee you at this point, all of these people standing on this beachhead, they've just heard Jesus say, you know, all these people that you think are blessed, all these rich people, the ones that seem blessed, they're the ones that have food to eat while others are starving. They're the ones that have fancy clothes while others don't even have clothes. He says, all of those people aren't the ones that are blessed. So I guarantee you, everybody's listening at this point. Like they are sitting on edge because Jesus has just told them that everything they know to be true is actually the opposite. So why does he say those of you that are listening, but to you who are listening? And I don't think it's so much that he's saying that you who are listening, everyone there is listening. It's for those of you that can actually hear this. For those of you that are willing to listen and obey, to take this to heart and to believe that it's true. And he needs those people to be the ones that hear because what he's about to say is gonna be a, a burden too hard for most to bear and that's love your enemies. In a world where the Roman Empire had completely infiltrated their society, where they dictated everything that they were allowed to do, where they could imprison, they could beat, they could murder, and it was all legally sanctioned. They could take whatever they wanted and they could force people to do whatever they wanted. And Jesus says, those are the very people that you need to love because they think that they're rich, but they're actually going to be poor. You need to be the ones that love them. So in a world where everything tells you that you don't love your enemies, in fact, you hate your enemies, Jesus says no. And he says, do good to those that hate you. Those very same people, the people that are oppressing you, the people that, the people that came into the Jews' holy temple and sacrificed a pig on their altar, which was an unclean animal, those are the people that Jesus is now telling them they have to do good for. They have to pick up and carry their load for them. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. The people in this life that wish the worst for you, those are the very people that you are to speak blessings over. Those are the people, the people that are holding you down, that are oppressing you, Jesus says, these are the very people that you need to be on your knees interceding with God, like interceding for these people because what they don't see is what you need to open their eyes to, what God is longing for them to come and see. And that is exactly this, this upside down kingdom where the rich are the poor, the hungry, are the starving, the strong are the weak, and the weak are the strong. This is what Jesus is calling them to. And if that wasn't hard enough, he gives them an example. He says, okay, you might not have caught this, so let me tell you what this looks like. If somebody strikes you on the cheek, so the picture of this is someone slapping you on the cheek, so their hand's here, and instead of recoiling, you actually leave it. You lean forward and let them bring an even harder hit, which would be the backhand, back across your face. Jesus is telling him to do this. And he's not saying that so that you could be a doormat or a punching bag. 
But what he's saying is what you have is so much greater than the physical strength that they have in this moment or the legal rights for them to do what they've just done to you. What you have is a God that's bigger than that, that actually owns all of those things. And so rather than striking back or running away, you're to offer yourself up to them as a faithful witness to the God who empowers you and lets you do so. That, I think that is a hard, uh, a hard pill for anybody to swallow. I know that it's definitely, as I read through this, that's probably one of the ones that's the most difficult for me. And he carries on. He says, if someone takes your coat, you don't withhold your shirt. You like the picture that I have of this is someone in this culture. A lot of times, what it would be is you would give your coat or your cloak, like your outer garment, you would give that as a surety of a promise, and so people would take that from you then, and they are supposed to give it back to allow you to be covered with it because it's your only thing that you have to keep warm, but a lot of times they won't. And so what he's saying is this person that's now taken your coat from you, your only source of warmth, the picture I get is someone taking off their shirt and chasing with them and say, wait, you obviously need more. Take this. I can, I can do without. You must need it more than I do. And so then we come to what is often called the, the golden rule, right? Verse 31, do to others as you would have them do to you. Um, and I kind of like, I don't know if it's the King James Version or what it is where it says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I think it's easier to illustrate because this, where it seems pretty simple, would have been revolutionary to them in that what it would have sound, what, what they would have been accustomed to hearing is do unto others so that they will do unto you. Because we've talked a lot about what the Israelite code and their law were, but they were living in a very heavily influenced Mediterranean culture now. The Romans were in power and they had a system of patronage where it stemmed from the Roman emperor and everyone that was in power then gave gifts, but these gifts were really hooks that clawed people into their circle and kept them indebted to them. We honestly, um, an example that I could use of this is some, um, I have a friend that lives in Pakistan and that's, he's a, he's a missionary there. He, he is, um, he's a Pakistan national, but he, uh, he is a minister of the gospel and he's a missionary there. And they have this system that many people, in fact, most Christians, because they have very little legal power in Pakistan, fall into where they have these brick kilns. They're brickyards where bricks are made. And people that are Christian aren't allowed to do many jobs. And they're not allowed to have much work. But they can go to work at these brick kilns. But what happens is the brick kiln owner will pay off a debt that the Christian owes, or he will give him lodging, but the fee for the lodging and the fee for their basic needs, their food and their water, comes up to more than what the brick, the brick kiln worker can make in a week. 
And so now, once they enter into this contract, they're in this endless cycle. They're basic, it's basic slavery where they are always creating bricks, always in service of this brick kiln owner, and they can never get out of it. They can never get out of his debt because they always need a place to stay. They always need food. They always need water. And the cycle just goes on and on. And this is what Jesus was crying out against. He's saying that you don't, if someone takes something that belongs to you, you don't demand it back. And he's going to go even further. And he's going to say that even the sinful will give to others expecting to receive. And that's exactly what he's talking about. These people that set up these styles of lives where I'm going to do you a favor because I know you'll owe me one now. Or actually even more like what I just talked about with those brick kilns where it creates a whole life of servitude where people are walking under it. And Jesus is pushing back against that. He's showing them what life in the real kingdom looks like. But I don't want us to walk away from this thinking that these are, this is a code that Jesus was giving for the people today. That what he was doing in all of these preceding passages that we were going up to is he was actually modeling this for us. And I think um, a passage in Romans, uh, Romans 5, 8, really, it hits home exactly what Jesus was doing. Now, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. And this is what he says. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it gives us a picture of Christ dying for our sins. But I want us to grab, I think Paul wants us to grasp the full depth of what it means to be a sinner for God. So he goes on. He says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more have we been, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And so that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, of course, you can love those that love you. Even sinners do that. But I came to love even the sinners. And so that while all of us were the enemies of God, Jesus came, he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross for our transgressions. Because what Jesus is trying to show here is that the love of enemies is something that's about the Father's work. This is what God has come to do. He's restoring all of humanity to him. He's saying do good for others. He's, and he's telling us to give true gifts. He's not telling us to give the kind of gifts that we expect repayment for. He's not even saying that we give the kind of gifts that we can feel good about giving, that we can feel good about ourselves once we've given them. And he's not saying not to give those gifts. Like it's actually, it's my son's birthday today and I'm really excited about giving him his gift. 
because God's made us to be givers. He's made us in his image. So he's not saying anything, any of those things are wrong. But what he's trying to tell us is that a true gift is one that could cost you everything. And that's what sets the world on its head. What, he, what the writer John says, and it's one of the most like cliche verses, like, and I actually hate that it is because I was worried about using it, but I think it's so true. And it's in John 3.16, he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that all that would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. That is a true gift. And so today as we walk out of here, I just exhort you in 6 verse 36, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that while we were your enemies, you sent your son to come and die for us. And God, I thank you that you have showed us a vision of what your kingdom could be. And not only that, you've called us to be the presence of that kingdom now. Lord, you've given us as a foretaste to go out and be your hands and feet, to be the visual representation of who you are. God, give me and everyone else here the ears to hear and the strength to carry out the truth of your word. Amen.